Church, are you ready for God's word? Yes. yes. Then we're talking about David. I mentioned that, that I wanted to finish the sermon series on a good note. And we will finish on a good note, but I wanted to avoid these chapters. Because how many of you know last week we saw David take a turn for the worse? What happened to that great, amazing king, that hero that we were all putting up on a pedestal and saying, man, David, you're the man. How it's, I wish I could be more like you. And then he, he goes and has that encounter with Bathsheba, and you start to think, wow, David, what were you thinking? That was last week's title. David, what were you thinking? Today, the title is, what's going on with David. It's like he's going from bad to worse, and it just keeps spiraling down. And I think it's because the Lord wants us to remember there are no heroes in God's Word except for Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean there aren't men and women of God that are used by God, but we all fall, we all fail, we all need a Savior. We all need a Savior, including David. So while you might love David, you might uh, honor his legacy and say, wow, what an encouragement. Remember, it's Jesus Christ that is the Savior. It's Jesus Christ that is our hero. And so as I think about these passages that we're about to go into, we're about to go into David and his trouble in his home, specifically with Absalom and Amnon, his son. One of them ends up raping a daughter of his, which is a half-sister, and then another brother takes revenge. You're going to see all of these things start to unfold in his house. And it is scandalous, to say the least. To say the least. And it's easy to just cut that out and to say, you know what, I'm going to focus on the good parts. David and Goliath and triumph and victory. And yeah, let's talk about all those good things. But how many of us know that it's the hard part that makes us better? Many times it's not the... It's not when everything is going great that we learn the greatest lesson. Let me ask you a question, just real quick. Vote for me, please. If you can say in good, with good conscience, the greatest lessons I've ever learned have been in the best of times, or, or would it be the greatest lessons I've ever learned was when I was really having a hard time? Good times, raise your hand. Okay, bad times, raise your hand. Look at the overwhelming majority is we learn more through hard times. Because in hard times, the Lord seems to be speaking louder to us. And we hear it with better ears. So, let's learn from David's hard time today. We see David was, was a young, hungry king. He had been anointed. He was hungry. He wanted to do right. He had a heart for the Lord. It reminds me of, of, of a fighter. How many of you like to watch uh, UFC or boxing? If you like to watch UFC or boxing, okay, I want to know who I'm speaking to. All right, good, good, good. Um, UFC, boxing, I've always loved it. And, and you can imagine my surprise this last Wednesday. I did the prayer time, and then I ran into Austin to as the ladies were doing their lesson time and I was doing uh, some errands and stuff and I remembered, wow, fajita Wednesday at Papacitos. <laughs> you know, got to get your priorities right, right? Do your prayer time and then you go eat fajitas. 
And so I went and I said, you know what? They said there's going to be about a 45-minute wait. I said, I'm going to squeeze in at the bar. I just squeezed in and I ordered my fajitas. And then here comes this gentleman who's about six, four and a half. He's a big dude. And, and it, as Pat's right on cue. <laughs> yeah. Big guy, you know, coming in, and, and he sits right by me, and then his son, who's about early 20, sits next to me. And they, they get their menus, and they're studying their menus. I mean, they're working at those menus, and I'm like, they're not from around here. Because everyone at Papacito's on a Wednesday knows you go straight for the fajitas. They're half price. And so I, uh, I looked over at him, and I said, you guys need some help. I'd love to make you recommendation. He goes, what you got in mind, man? my man or something like that and I said well I would suggest the fajitas he goes what's that I said oh man you're not from around here I just turned I said oh wow you're not from Texas he said no I'm from New York Uh, I said I'm sorry I'm sorry we could make room for you if you really want if you want to come we'll make room for you making room for all your buddies and he starts laughing, and I said, he goes, no, I can't, I can't leave New York. I said, were you an athlete at some time? You look familiar. And he said, I was the heavyweight champion of the world. And he looked, he goes, I had red hair, kind of pulled back with dreads. I said, Shannon Briggs. He said, yep, I'm Shannon Briggs. And, and uh, I was like, wow, that's really cool. So we got to talking a little bit, and right when I was about to witness to him, he got a phone call from someone that was setting up some accommodations for him or something, and he wouldn't get off the phone until he moved to his table. And I was like, oh, I missed out on witnessing to him. But it reminded me that, that when it comes to fighting, when you're young and hungry, good things happen. You win championships, you advance, you grow, you, you, you establish yourself in the sport. But what happens when you become a champion and things get easier, it's hard to motivate yourself to the level of that kind of dedication that it took to be at, you know, top peak performance. Isn't that true? And the older you get, the harder it is to motivate ourselves to that peak performance. Right, guys? I'm just saying. I just want to remind you going into Thanksgiving. (laughs) That some of us, we've, we've lost that, that motivation. And that's what happens to David. It's like when he was young, he loved the Lord with all of his heart. He went for it with all of his might. You see him doing exploit after exploit. But then he gets to the point where, where God has given him peace. He's united the kingdom under his rule. He's in his palace. Everything seems to be going his way. And that's when he got lazy. We talked about that some last week, but what I want to share with you today is probably his greatest, his greatest temptation was the temptation of discontentment. Discontentment. Read with me what the prophet tells him when he says to him, there was a rich man, there was a poor man. The rich man took advantage of the poor man, right? And David gets angry and says, this man should pay with his life and restore fourfold. And the prophet looks at him and says, what? You are that man. He was so blind. Why was he so blind? Because discontentment blinds us. Discontentment fills our heart 
with selfishness. Selfishness. To be discontent. And I'm not talking about a holy discontentment. I'm talking about a lustful discontentment. Where you start, and notice, why would I talk about discontentment on Thanksgiving weekend? Because the cure for discontentment and covetousness is Thanksgiving. Having a heart of gratitude to say, Lord, I'm good. I'm happy. I'm joyful. I'm at peace. Lord, I trust you. This is what David used to have until he found himself in that point where he was looking around and discontentment began to creep in. You don't believe me? Read what the prophet says to him. He says, you are that man. Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. And I delivered you from the hand of Saul who was trying to kill you. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. You with me? Into your keeping. I gave you all of these things and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. I united the kingdom under you. And if that had been too little, if that had not been enough, I also would have given you so much more. What was God saying? I saw discontentment in your heart. And I could have filled it. But you chose to covet. You chose to covet. Now I want you to understand that covetousness is a serious thing. What's going on with David? covetousness is going on. Listen to what our Lord says in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, he says to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. What does he mean by all covetousness? See, covetousness, according to the great theologian Francis Schaeffer, is the inversion. It's when you invert something, it's you say the same thing in a negative way. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, is the same as thou shalt not covet. Don't covet against God. Love him. Don't covet against your neighbor. Love them. See, covetousness is selfishness. Love is selflessness. Love is selflessness. Lord, I'm good. I'm content. I'm in thanksgiving. This is why Thanksgiving is so, so important. See, to be content is to guard ourselves from covetousness. Because contentment equals the great commandment. Contentment is to say, I love you, Lord. And I'm good with what you desire for me, God. I don't desire against you, Lord. If you have me in this place, I'm good in this place. If you see fit that this situation unfold, then I'm good with this situation. No, I'm not going to get angry and say, Lord, I wanted to have Friendsgiving. How could you, God? I'm just saying. I'm working on that. Pray for me. <laughs> but it happens quick, doesn't it? It'll get in your heart if you're not careful because contentment is not something easy any more than love is easy to our fleshly desire. Right? If you think it's easy to love, then you haven't been paying attention. It's hard to love the way Christ loved, right? In fact, he said, you'll find many that will give their lives for good things, but never, never for those that hated them. And Christ so loved the world that he gave his only 
that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son being Christ. Now, contentment is love. Contentment is grounded in faith and hope because faith and hope will lead to love. And now the greatest of these is love. But watch, it starts with faith. You see it in all of Paul's writings when he says what perseverance and hardship and these things that challenge you will bring forth faith. And then faith brings forth hope. And when hope is mature, it will blossom in love. In love of God. You mean, what do you mean by faith? Lord, I trust you. I trust that what you have for me is good. I'm not going to covet against you and say, you owe me, Lord. I don't like this position I'm in. God, how could you, Lord? Come on, get with the program, God. Don't you see I'm way better than so-and-so, so I think you should hook me up. Look at her with her half-living self. And she got herself a man? <laughs> Look at him. He barely shows up to church and he's driving a new truck. God, you own covetous. Instead of saying, no, Lord, in faith, I trust you. If you have me going from cave to cave and, and barely escaping Saul, I know that in your time you will establish what you said because your hand always performs what your word declares. If you declare it, you'll perform it. If you declare it, you'll perform it. Why? Because you are a God of integrity and I trust you and my hope is in you. See, we use the word hope in a very casual sense. Hey, uh, I hope we can maybe make up thanks, uh, uh, Friendsgiving. I hope. No, no, no. To use it in a biblical sense is with absolute certainty. My hope is we make up Friendsgiving, meaning guess what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. My hope is in the Lord. My hope is heavenward. My hope is secure. Why? It happens in faith first. And then hope brings forth love brings forth love. See, contentment is grounded in faith, hope, and love and brings forth peace and joy. Contentment is being at peace with God, saying, I'm not striving against you, Lord. This is why the Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances. Don't let your circumstance overwhelm you that it brings forth discontentment and you start to struggle against God and others. Watch, it's right there. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Hebrews puts it this way. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Man, I could preach a good message on contentment because my mama used to teach me that. Ooh. I'd be like, Mom, why can't I have some Air Jordans? Like the... So be happy with what you have, Mayo. God has given you health and food and clothing. At least you have some shoes. There are children in... Come on now. There are children in other parts of the world, Africa, South America, that don't even have shoes. Be happy with the pro wings. Some of you are going, what are pro wings? Oh, if you know what are pro wings, some of you know what are pro wings. Oh, man, let's keep going. The Bible says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
great gain. This is what we saw from the young David. But somewhere along the line, he wanted more. And God said, if you had turned to me, I would have given you more. You didn't have to go do this evil thing. See, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will and should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Therefore, Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Come on, young people. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I speak to my young people because you figured out this American dream is an American nightmare. You figured it out. It's not about how much stuff we can get and the biggest houses we can acquire. It's about living pure to yourself, going for something higher, reaching forth for the true meaning of life. And Jesus says, seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom and I'll meet you there. The king will show up in your life and begin to... Oh, if I could be young again knowing what I know today. Oh, I'd be... Come on, isn't that true? See how all the older folks are going, yes. Don't make the mistakes we did. Seeking the American dream, that's a way of dangling cheap tinsel before your eyes. Cheap tinsel distracting you when God says, seek the kingdom and I'll give you riches that no man can steal. Nothing can corrode. Let's keep going. Delight yourself in the Lord, the Bible says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Paul put it this way. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation, I am to be content. Sometimes it's a bad situation. Sometimes the circumstance turns against me. But I've learned. Notice the word learn. That means it's being proactive, doesn't it? doesn't just happen. You have to engage and say, no, there's some, some things that I can teach myself to keep my peace and to stay in joy, right? To stand on faith and to celebrate hope and love so that I may remain content. Watch. I've learned to be content. I know what it's like to be brought low. I know what it's like to abound and to have plenty. I know what it's like to face every kind of circumstance. And I have learned the secret right here of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through who? That's what I'm telling you. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, David had become discontent and he coveted another man's wife. It's been said that if covetousness is the inverse of loving God with all your heart, soul, body, and strength, and that's the 10th commandment, that if you break any of the other commandments, you will break that one first. Consider it with me. You steal. You had to have covetousness first before you stole. You commit adultery. David committed adultery. He what? He had covetousness 
towards Bathsheba in his heart first. God's saying, you even had it towards me because if you wanted a beautiful woman, you could have come to me and I'd have given you one. That's what he's saying. We'd have done it the right way. You would have done it the right way. You say, but the right way is he shouldn't have been wanting that. Why do you think David says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will work out your desires? I'm teaching some deep truth here. Because some of you are going to hear me to say that God wanted him to have many wives. When I've already preached on that last week, God wanted him to have one wife. One wife. This is why David understood that God was saying, what you wanted, you didn't need. I would have given you what you needed. You think you want something beautiful to, to satisfy your physical but what you need is to give me your heart. And this is why David pens that. He's the one that pens that in Psalms 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, to some of us that means, ooh, if I delight myself in the Lord, he'll hook it up. He'll give me what I want. No, David is saying when I delight myself in the Lord, he gives me what I ought to want. He gives me what I should want. He puts his desires in my heart. Therefore, I'm not wanting these physical, fleshly, lustful things. I'm wanting what? Kingdom purpose. I get my eyes back on kingdom. I start realizing that he has an eternal purpose. Oh, come on now. I'm trying to preach. Uh, and I just want to know you're with me. So from discontentment, he falls and he ends up being a disconnected dad. The very next chapter starts this way. After Absalom, his son, he had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, also a son of David, loved her. Sounds like kissing cousins happening here. No, um... They're half-brother, half-sister, and in those times, it was acceptable. It was okay. But I want you to pay very close attention to what the Bible is saying and what the Bible is not saying here. The Bible says he loved her, okay? Verse 2, Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick. For she was a virgin, and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. Does that sound like love? Let me, let, let, you, I want to teach you how to make things biblical. Remember, the Bible interprets the Bible, meaning the principles we know. So the Bible is saying here, he loved her. This is what he thought. I love my sister. I love her. So he Love equals sickness? How many of you go, nah, it doesn't make sense to me? Because what the Bible is highlighting to us that what we think is love many times is not love. Because love doesn't produce sickness. And watch, what is, why is he so sick because he can't do something to her? What does he want to do to her? Mentions that she's a virgin. So what he wants her not to be a virgin because he's trying to have sex with her. This is not love. Do you see that now? This is not love. And so, but Amnon had a friend 
whose name was Jonadab. He was the son of David's brother. So this friend is a cousin. He's a cousin. And this cousin was very crafty. He was scheming, conniving. Those are other words that could be used. And he said to him, why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner and thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Now, I want you to notice this. David has sinned, and last week we saw that he repented and God forgave him. But I want to ask you, does he act like a man who's forgiven in these chapters? That's something you're going to have to ask yourself as we go through. Because a man who is forgiven will stand with confidence if he forgives himself. If he forgives himself. This is why I believe the Bible says in the book of James, confess your sin one to another. Not just any old brother, but a, a beloved confidant, a disciple maker. Someone you've trusted and walked with that you may be healed. See, David is forgiven. David is not healed. See, when we share with one another, we heal each other. As a brother says, hey, you're forgiven. Step forward in the promise God has given you. Step forward, forgiven and healthy to be the father he's called you to be. David has no one challenging him that way, so you're going to see him disconnect from his children because one of his sons is getting thinner and thinner and thinner. He's having a serious problem with lust, but his dad doesn't see it. Doesn't see it at all. Instead, there's a scoundrel who sees it. So my question is, parents, who has your children's ear? Where do they go to for advice? David's disconnected. He's so disconnected. Maybe it's because he's still wrought up with what he did, and he just keeps thinking about it, and he's missing what's happening all around him. Now, when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, okay, what is happening? I'll tell you what's happened. This scoundrel friend of his says, you need to devise a plan. Act like you're sick. Have the king ask for you and then ask the king to send Tamar, your half-sister, to you to basically make some breakfast or some food in, in bed. When she arrives, she makes him some muffins, some cakes. He sends everyone out, out so he can be alone. And then he grabs hold of her right there. Come lie with me. Come sleep with me, my sister, he propositions. But she answered him, no, my brother, do not force me. For no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? Are you hearing me? And as for you, you would be like one of those fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. He will make it possible for us to be married. But let's do the right thing. Do you see what's happening? Do you understand what's taking place? He kept going. He kept moving. Because what I want us to understand is what David does in moderation if you can consider that moderation, his children do an excess. 
I want you to see this, that what we do in one generation in moderation, the next generation will do in excess. It always grows because sin doesn't stay nice and packaged in its place. You see, just stay right here. So you have to be aggressive with sin. You have to deal with it. You can't just let it abide because it will grow and take over. And here it's taking over David's household. You ask yourself, but what is David doing in all of this? He's disconnected. He's totally disconnected. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly. What happened? He raped her. He forced her. Verse 14. And he laid with her. He raped her. This is where sin leads. This is where sin leads. And he rapes her. I want you to consider the similarities. David looked at Bathsheba and he had this desire for her. Amnon looks at his sister and he has this desire for her. How did it grow? He starts plotting. He takes her. He forces himself. See how it went beyond what David did? David didn't force himself necessarily in this, in this manner. This is brutal. And then you have, watch, watch, watch what happens he said, Amnon hated her exceedingly so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he loved her. Let me tell you something. He didn't love her. It was never love. Love is not selfish. It's not selfish. This is selfish. And Amnon said to her, get up, go, get out. Why? Because he's feeling shame now. And he should. He did a shameful thing. And she shouldn't feel that burden. She didn't do anything wrong. He did it all. So she said to him, No, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than what we did, than what you did to me. But he wouldn't listen to her. He says, she was telling him, don't send me away. Don't send me away. Verse 17. Then he called his servant who attended him and said, here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. What's going on with these kids? I'll tell you what's going on with these kids. A father who's nowhere to be found. Totally disconnected. And, and he's not taking the time to understand that his greatest failure could be his greatest testimony. Could be his greatest testimony because God puts you through a test so that you might have a testimony. He takes your mess to make a message. And so I want you to stay here, see what happens here. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother's house, in her brother Absalom's house. But when the king heard of all of these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Now David feels totally discredited, but more than that, his children believe him to have discredited himself. Why? Because he gets angry, but he doesn't do anything. We know this because Absalom remains quiet. Notice what the Bible says, that he doesn't speak to his brother. 
He doesn't speak about his brother. He doesn't speak to his brother. He doesn't say a bad thing. He doesn't say a good thing. He just remains completely indifferent towards his brother. But in his heart, what's growing? Come on, this is his sister that this half-brother took advantage of. And now she's, she's staying in his house. What do you think his heart is doing? It's growing colder and colder and harder and harder. But David perceives it as, I think it's going to be okay. Why? Why would he think that? I'll tell you why. Do you think it's because he is now, he used to be the guy who slayed tens of thousands, who would never meet a battle he couldn't win, who was strong and capable. He was a warrior. He was a man's man. Do you think he's lost that? And now he's not that anymore. Is it because of the physical strength has left him in his older age? Or is it because his sin, he's still not healed from it, and because he's still not healed from it, he doesn't know how to process his guilt and his shame. And because he doesn't know how to process his guilt and his shame, he might be secretly taking what? The blame for this and doesn't want to stand up and say, hey, what you did was wrong. What you did was wrong. Instead, I can't tell my child not to do that because I did it. I can't tell my child not to drink. I drank. I can't tell my child not to have premarital sex. We did. I can't tell my child not to be lustful and look at pornography because we did. Because you did, you should speak even louder. You have experience. You know how deadly it is. You know that the enemy wanted to kill you if God hadn't saved you. And so you can say with more confidence, with more authority, I know this because I lived it. And if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, I would have been swallowed up alive. But the enemy would love for you to go shrink back in your guilt, shrink back in your shame so that he can have full access to our children, so he can have full access to those that he has disconnected us from, discredited us from sharing with. I want you to gird up yourself in promise today, in promise, and call forth what is true. When someone's been hurt, from a shameful act, you stand forth and you say that was wrong and has no, you have no part in that shame. Let me build you up in the name of the Lord by the power of the living God. But also when your children do wrong, be quick to say that is not right and will not be tolerated in this home. Do you realize, do you realize, and I want to speak to our young people for a second. Young people feels good to have someone care enough to correct you. Isn't it right? I remember when my son was little, I always used to ask him this. He was a little toddler. I'd say, Mijo, do you know daddy loves you? It was very important that he knew I loved him. And he would say, yes. And I would hug him and I'd say, yes, daddy loves you very much. And then one day I said, how do you know daddy loves you? You'll never guess what he told me. Guess what he said? Anyone, throw, throw something out there. That's what he said. How'd you know? How'd you know? That's awesome. He said, because you spanked me. And it blew me away. Do you realize that's biblical? 
The Bible says the father that loves his child will discipline him. Will create structure for him to excel. For her to excel. That structure gives them confidence. That structure that you have at first, it feels uncomfortable, but that's what will make you a good person. And it will pay dividends in the future. That's absolutely true. And so I want to finish this way because, because David remains quiet. You know what Absalom does? He waits two full years. And then he takes matters into his own hands. He sets up a scheme and he kills his brother. Pure cold blood, just do it, get it over with. I'm sick of him. He needs to go. Do you think the father could have prevented some of this? Do you think a mother could have prevented some of this? Do you think someone with wise biblical counsel could have prevented some of this? What I want to share with you lastly is before we leave is this. He disregarded discipleship. See, David's sinful inaction is as bad as his action. His inaction is as bad as his action. Isn't it true? He's still struggling with this matter. Stay with me on this. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when these desires have conceived, it brings, it bursts forth sin. And sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. And that is what he is seeing happening in his home. See, your greatest challenge could be your greatest testimony is what David needs to get in his heart. You also need to realize that discipleship is different from just pure development. So many parents today are interested in development, not discipleship. David was interested in development. How so? He wanted to develop a beautiful court. A court. What is a court? That's everyone in his family and those in close proximity to his family that he trusted that could be part of the palace court that signified his strength. And not only the strength of him, but the strength of his leadership and kingdom. But he failed in developing the court to disciple his children. How do I put this in today's terms? Sometimes we develop our children to hit a good jump shot. We don't develop discipleship to teach them how not to be what? Worldly. Worldly. What do I mean by that? No, stay with me on this. God wants our children to be what? Faithful. Caring. To pursue Him. To love Him. To trust Him. To have hope in Him. To not just look at their own needs, but to look at the needs of others and say, how can I befriend someone? I'm not saying this to, to tout something in me. I'm just bragging on my dad a little bit. My dad taught me how to care for others as a pastor's kid. And I can remember going to Baylor University. There was this one young man who everyone in the entire floor hated him, hated him. He was odd. He was different. He was a vegan before that was a thing. You know, he was a vegan when it wasn't cool. In Texas... He wouldn't shower. He wouldn't shower. He was a real know-it-all from California. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. 
But back then, that wasn't a thing either, and, and he, was, he was not liked. And his name was Adonis. Adonis. You know what Adonis means? The perfect Greek male. A god. Who names your kid that? You're asking to get him, have him picked on. And so he was a total loner. And I remember thinking to myself, my dad taught me better than this. I reached out to him. I brought him close. I realized that he didn't like showering in the communal shower for whatever reason. But we're called to help. So I said, you know what? When you go shower, you tell me I'll stand outside and no one will go in there. You'll have your privacy. Maybe he had been hurt at some point. I don't know. But all I know is I was called to be bigger than what the world was doing. This is a Christian university. I wasn't walking with the Lord, but something inside of me had been put there by my dad's teaching. Amen. And that's what we're called to be. We're called to befriend others, to not be catty and petty and silly. Because you might say, my children don't have these murderous thoughts, but maybe they have other thoughts. Maybe there's things that we can correct. Maybe there's things that we should do differently than just what the world is saying we should do. We should focus on discipleship. Discipleship. You know, people ask me all the time, why don't your children go to school? Because I want to be the biggest influence in their lives. And so at homeschool, I can influence them and they're growing in their knowledge. But most of all, I'm cementing the word of God in their heart. Now, I know that's not for everyone, but don't neglect cementing the word of God in their heart. I'll never forget what, what Dr. Rob told me. He said, you know, Pastor Chris, I go all over the world and I have missionaries and friends all over the world, and they have children, and I've never seen children that are more dedicated to God's word than yours. I don't say that to impress you. I say it to press upon you that it comes with sacrifice, real sacrifice. For me saying, I don't care about going here and there and trying to be a big-time pastor if I lose my children. Also, it takes an amazing amount of prayer. Prayer, prayer, hours of prayer saying, God, don't let me lose my children. Don't let me lose my children. Help me be aware of what's going on in their hearts and their lives. Help me see when my son needs me. And then the, and the, the word of the Lord comes to me in my heart during my prayer time says, you need to spend a lot more time with him. And so I start making that time even though I have to carve some things out of my schedule in order to do it. But I really love what God told me because I saw it even the other day with Pastor Andrew as he was encouraged by our witness. He goes, how do you get a family? I mean, your family, Chris, your family, your family. You don't know how blessed you are. I said, no, no, I know how blessed I am. My king is amazing. My king is amazing. And so I just gently encouraged him because he you know, he's wondering what to do with his daughter or this or that. And I'm not saying that college is not good. I'm just saying college is not for everybody in the time the world says we should do it. Notice what the world tells us. Send your kids off. As soon as they get out of high school, send them off. Why would I ever in do what the world tells me to do? Why? Think about this with me for a second. Wouldn't it be better 
This is what I thought. My Pastor Melissa and I, we prayed and we said, where is our son at? Where is our daughter at? I don't know if I want her to send her off at 18. I don't want to send him off at 18. There's so many things he's still cementing. What do I mean by cementing? He's galvanizing his faith. He's asking questions, philosophical questions, theological questions, ethical questions on how to deal with the world. Who needs to be his biggest influence? The professors? Come on. Some professors? And then he kicks it around in the dorm room like I used to with knuckleheads? And we came up with some crazy stuff in the dorm rooms. Come on, be honest. And then the, all we thought about was how are we going to get beer and we're not 21 yet? What party are we going to go to? What this, what that? You know, oh yeah, but that's part of life. Who said? Who told you? Doesn't God ask Adam that? Doesn't God tell Adam that? Who told you you were naked? Who told you to live that way? Who t- I know some of you are going, oh, I came on the wrong day. I don't like this man. All he does is meddle in my business. I wish he just... What kind of Thanksgiving message is this? Thank the Lord. His word is true. Thank the Lord. His word is true. Thank the Lord. He gets all the glory, all the credit. I'm not raising an attorney or a doctor. I'm raising a man of God. God will determine the rest. I'm raising a woman of God. I'm going to stand before the king of glory and he's going to say, I gave you a household. What you do with it? And if you're here today and you're saying, man, I've kind of lost a little bit, kind of like David, I haven't been as engaged. God is a God of second chances. But you've got to come to him and when you receive his forgiveness, go ahead, you can play. Believe it. Gird yourself up with some other men and women Men with men, women with women, and have them help you heal. Heal. They'll challenge you and say, no, get in there. Be the dad you're called to be. Be the the mom you're called to be. You can do this. God is for you. God can restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. He can restore to you what the enemy has tried to steal from you. Oh, I want to keep preaching, but third service is coming. I love you. Would you take your communion? And right there between you and the Holy Spirit, would you just say, Lord, this holiday season, fill our hearts with contentment. Fill us with contentment. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Let's follow you. In Jesus' name. Lord, we know that we are made pure and white by your blood. Forgive us. And help us to walk forgiven. By your grace, we celebrate. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week.